Welcome to Little Yo Pod, the all things Yosemite podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, a longtime resident and enthusiast of Yosemite National Park. And today we're going to talk about birding, one of my favorite Yosemite pastimes. But before we dive in, I just want to offer a little explanation about what is going on with this podcast. First, a formal apology to my listeners. I know I just kind of dropped off the planet for a while with no warning and no explanation. And I know this happens a lot in the podcasting world um, as people's lives and situations change. But I do feel a deep sense of responsibility to my listeners who come to this podcast to learn about Yosemite. And I am so grateful that so many people want to get to know this place better. And so my new commitment is that I'm going to keep making this podcast going forward until something better or of equal quality comes along that can take its place because I just think it's so important that it that it exists. Um, that's really all I can say about that for now, but hopefully something as um, exciting is on the horizon for a fully-fledged Yosemite podcast. And yes, a pun is intended there. As to why I stopped making the podcast in the first place, Quite honestly, I I just felt like I was too busy. Um, I started this project when I was out of work, and I continued it on through COVID, uh, being out for quite some time. I believed at the time that that was so serendipitous because I wasn't allowed to live in Yosemite during COVID since I wasn't working, and a lot of people weren't able to visit during that time. So it seemed like the perfect solution um, and timing to start that project uh, since it helped keep myself and others connected to the place that we all love so much during such a difficult time. And then I started working again, and then my job duties increased, and then I was planning a wedding, and all of the life things were just um, getting in the way and becoming a little overwhelming, so I just had to step back for a while. Um, And I'm not going to say anything is easier now. It's actually getting more challenging for me professionally, but I really do believe in this work, and I think it's super important, and I feel like I owe this to the world, as weird as that sounds. So I will do my best to keep this stuff coming to you on a fairly regular schedule. But thank you, everyone who has hung in there waiting for the comeback. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's get to today's topic. So here in Yosemite, we have a long list of creatures from the mammal, insect, reptile, amphibian, and avian world. And this is because of the protection of Yosemite's natural habitats. So we're not building housing complexes on wetlands or cutting down trees to make room for shopping malls. We're not ripping out plants and tilling fields for farmland anymore. We're very lucky that much of the acreage of Yosemite remains untouched and undisturbed by humans, at least in the development sense. And we're even more lucky because we have a robust wildlife population that does not intend to leave this area as long as it remains protected and has everything they need uh, here for them. Now, in my years of guiding hikes and nature walks, a lot of the visitors are um, a little incredulous <laughs> by the robust wildlife communities that make their home in Yosemite because they don't feel like they see much of it while they're here other than, you know, the random little squirrel. Um, but what they're expecting, like in Yellowstone, are those megafauna animals. So bears, bighorn sheep, and mountain lions, the highly charismatic creatures that arouse so much excitement but are incredibly aloof and hard to find when you're here. But wildlife is really all around us. Even bears could be super close by. They're just really good at hiding. 
Um, but you'll notice more wildlife around you if you start paying attention to those more common species such as insects and birds. Birds inhabit Yosemite in all seasons, and they are the perfect companion to a summer day hike or winter cross-country skiing adventure or anything in between there. We have over 200 documented bird species that have been recorded in Yosemite, and that number continues to grow every year as habitats fall to building developments or wildlands change for various factors such as wildfire or flooding. Um, Wild habitats are shrinking, and there is more development than restoring occurring globally. So these birds and other species seek places that can still offer what they need for survival. And this is food, shelter, safety, community, favorable climates, all the same things that we need. Birding in Yosemite is not only a great pastime, but it's also important citizen science. Since wildlife biologists can't be everywhere all the time, they depend on these birding enthusiasts to let them know when they see something out of the ordinary. And Yosemite is always asking people to submit um, things that they've seen during their trips here. That goes for birds and wildlife alike. It's really exciting to make these new discoveries, but it's also a little troubling because it indicates to us that something is very different for a particular species that may not have been recorded in the area previously. Because many birds are migratory and able to cover a lot of miles um, very quickly, they are great indicators of disturbances to habitats. They're like these little alarm bells that command our attention and task us with finding out what is happening Um, and if we can correct any negative impact before it's too late. So I became more interested in birds of Yosemite or in birding in general following a bird banding clinic I was invited to join in the spring of 2021. So Yosemite National Park works with the Institute of Bird Populations in the Monitoring Avian Productivity and Survivorship Program, which is also called MAPS for short, to study shifts in bird activity and behavior each year. The program has been going for over a quarter century, and so it is one of the longest-running avian research projects in the country. So this research is very important and tells us a lot about what is happening in Yosemite and the surrounding areas. Now, the way they do this, the way they do this bird monitoring is a team of volunteers for MAPS. They set up these thin nets um, in some of the meadows of Yosemite. These nets look like big volleyball nets, but with more vertical coverage. Um, So I want to say they're like... 10 to 12 feet tall. And they set these up in various, more kind of out of the way places um, so that there isn't any interference. And when I joined that day, we were in a meadow near Crane Flat um, in early June. And because of the higher elevation of Crane Flat, which is north of Yosemite Valley, it's around 6,000, 6,500 feet. This meadow in June was in full spring mode. It was very lush and the plants were reaching the height of their activity and productivity. So naturally, it was the perfect place uh, to find birds. It was a very active area. So the volunteers would check the nets about every 15 to 20 minutes to see if anything was snagged or caught. And like nine times out of 10, there was some bird (laughs) tangled up in the net. Um, Sometimes the same one over and over again. Um, So now this is where it gets very interesting and a little harrowing to watch as the volunteer gently extracts the bird from the net. And they can get really tangled up in there because they're um, they're really scared uh, and, and upset. So it kind of reminded me of untangling a bunch of necklaces. <laughs> it was just like a mess with their little feet were all hooked into these weird, you know, I mean, they just looked crazy in there. But this person was so 
good at getting them out of the net. She was so gentle. And so this took a lot of concentration and precision on her part, but she was a total expert at it. So when she freed uh, the bird from the net, she placed it in a sack and then she'd move on to the next uh, net to check that one, so on and so forth. And overall, depending on the time of day, um, and this was kind of midday, so not quite as many birds out, they would grab about three to five birds on each round. So then um, she would bring the sacks of birds back to the workstation and they would pull them out and very gently handle them and they would record everything about that one bird. So its species, its size, if it was male or female, if the bird had a band, um, the age of the bird, things like that. And so once the recording was finished, um, and it was quite extensive, the bird would have a little tiny band attached to its foot so they could tell if they'd caught it before. And then it was released um, in the same place that it was caught. So all good. Birds were all unharmed by the end of the day. But we all also got a chance to see these birds really up close and see the features of the birds that we would have never seen otherwise under different circumstances. And these volunteers were so gracious and generous with their time. And they really love to teach us about the birds as well. So like, I didn't know that female birds have what is called a brood patch on their breasts or on their breast. Um, the bird banders showed us how if you gently just blow on the bird's chest, the feathers, they just easily separate side to side. And you can tell then if it's male or female by examining the cloaca. Um, and then with like for birds that are have little coloring, this is especially important, like sparrows. And if it's a female, she has this nice fleshy breast for when she's nesting. And this helps her to keep the eggs warm. Um, skin to egg contact keeps them warmer than if it was just her feathers, which I totally didn't know, but makes total perfect sense. Um, you can also tell their age by the brood patch. Older females will have more wrinkles and crepey skin as they lose elasticity with age. Um, something that happens to humans as well. <laughs> So that day, I got to see several sparrows, dark-eyed juncos, red-breasted sapsuckers, McGillivray's warbler, I think we caught as well. But every time they pulled a bird from the net, it was just so thrilling. And even though most of the species were what would be considered common, they immediately became the most important thing in that moment. They just became little celebrities to us. By the end of my time there, we were informed that what Maps was finding were more species uh, types as the years progressed. And what this indicates is that many birds are losing habitat elsewhere and making permanent residence in Yosemite. The person leading the project mentioned a word that has stuck with me forever and I share with everyone I meet in Yosemite. Yosemite now, and the words refugia. And refugia refers to a place that remains largely unimpacted um, by changes that are happening around us. This could be climate changes or habitat changes um, occurring nearby, um, but this little place is like an island sanctuary. And while Yosemite certainly is a victim of climate change, the undeveloped nature of it allows species to seek refuge from places they once lived that may have become uninhabitable for them. So while people come to Yosemite to seek refuge from their daily lives or whatever else, um, a lot of these species come to Yosemite potentially as their last hope of survival in a rapidly changing world that they have no control over. It's really quite sad. My second most memorable and confounding bird experience occurred, it was about a month ago when I joined the annual Christmas bird count in Yosemite Valley. So every year, volunteers or citizen scientists join Yosemite biologists and bird experts to count as many bird species as possible in a single day. It's like, it goes from 8 to about 5 p.m. on one day. And 
This didn't actually start in Yosemite, but it is an event that takes place all over the country around the same time, and it's organized by the National Audubon Society. Um, there's actually another bird count coming up on February 16th, uh, organized by a different entity, and I think you can find information about that at birdcount.org, and that's um, all over the world as well. Uh, but the Christmas bird count tradition started over 100 years ago, and this was to replace the annual Christmas side hunt um, in which people would shoot and kill thousands of birds and mammals for fun and competition, um, who are brought home the most fur and feathers won. Um, and this always occurred around Christmas time because people were together. Uh, but declining bird populations um, encouraged some ornithologists to call for a different activity in which we just look at the birds and count them instead of shooting them. So now we just shoot them with our cameras, thank goodness. So it's a great tradition with some weird roots, but um, does really good things for the bird communities today. On this particular day, um, I happened to be with a group of extremely knowledgeable birders and biologists, and we found something, well, they found something extraordinary I wouldn't have noticed without them there. Um, being new to birding myself, but it was a spotted sandpiper, um, this really cute little, uh, I want to say it's about smaller than a robin, um, and it's got stilted legs. It's an aquatic, or it's a shorebird rather. Um, in summer, they have kind of beige back, uh, wings and back are like a beigeish color, and then they have this, um, and they're white on their breast, and they have some spotting, and then in winter, their winter plumage is just a white breast. Um, so really cute little bird. And he was just happily like walking and bobbing down the riverbank. Um, this was near Yosemite Lodge. And he was flipping over leaves and rocks and just kind of noshing on whatever little things he could find in there. Perfectly happy little guy. And so now seeing a spotted sandpiper in Yosemite is not in itself entirely unusual. I see them all the time in summer when I'm paddling down the Merced River. But seeing one in winter actually had never happened before, at least not on the Christmas bird count. So this was a new winter species. And we found it simply by being in the right place at the right time. It was incredible. So at first, I was so excited um, that we spotted a new species to add to the list. And, but as the day went on and the excitement kind of wore off, I started to just worry a little bit. Like, why was this little bird even here in the first place? And what was happening with his home that caused him to be in Yosemite during a time when he should have been in the coastal area where sandpipers usually winter? I still don't know why we saw that sandpiper that day or if it was just a fluke, but I will always wonder. And I'm really grateful for the lesson that taught me that things are changing in ways we may not understand, but we will miss everything if we're not even paying attention in the first place. So if you're eager to start your birding adventure, where should you start? Well, you should probably get some binoculars. Uh, they don't need to be top of the line, but something something nice, the best ones you can afford. Uh, my binoculars are the Nikon Monarch. Um, they have a magnification of 8x42, and they're fantastic. I highly recommend them. Um, it's not generally recommended to get anything above 8 times magnification because then the view gets too shaky and you don't have as wide a field of view for uh, viewing birds. You should also grab a field guide to help you identify your birds and other you know, other species. Uh, I like the Laws Field Guide to the Sierra Nevada. That's pretty much what everyone around here has, um, has birds, mammals, plants, trees, 
stars, <laughs> everything. Um, you can find that, I think, at the Yosemite Conservancy bookstore or online. And I also recommend downloading the Merlin app. It's called Merlin. It's a bird identifying app for your phone. And this is for sound identification since you often hear birds more than you see them. It's a great app. It's really fun, pretty accurate, although I have tricked it with my imitation of a great horned owl. I'm not trying to brag. <laughs> Um, so it's not perfect, but it's it's pretty darn good. Um, when looking for birds, remember to investigate the trees, of course, and shrubs and bushes. Um, so you're looking for movement first, and then you want to use your binoculars. I have found that scanning trees with my binoculars is totally futile, and the naked eye is just fine for that first sighting. Once you see movement, you want to keep your eye trained on that point and then lift your binoculars up. Try not to move too much in the transition since you can lose sight very easily once that view is magnified. This is all stuff you'll learn too the more you do it. As far as places to see birds in Yosemite, I have found the meadows and riverbanks are really the hot spots in spring and summer and then the forests, um, mixed conifer forests, are a little bit better for winter with fewer populations here. Of course, always remember to be respectful when out birding. Um, please don't walk into areas that are under restoration. So viewing from boardwalks or bridges is best. I usually um, just do a daily walk and I stick to the bike paths, uh, the boardwalks and bridges, and I get a lot of bird action without having to impact an area. That's why you have binoculars, <laughs> so you don't have to travel into those areas. And uh, another thing is when bird watching. Uh, I would recommend not trying to use calls to attract them. I, I, fe I feel like that's really unethical and it confuses them. So just be there as an observer and try not to interfere as much as possible. Since it is winter as I write this, this species I have seen most in Yosemite Valley um, is from December to January are ruby-crowned and golden-crowned kinglets, black-eyed phoebes, dark-eyed juncos, stellar's jays, common ravens, mountain chickadees, song sparrows, brown creepers, Fairy thrushes, red-shouldered hawks, uh, sharpshin hawks, American dippers, white-headed woodpeckers, pileated woodpeckers, acorn woodpeckers, northern flickers, and I even saw a bald eagle and a blue heron. <laughs> uh, pretty good birding <laughs> for winter, actually. You wouldn't think it'd be the time, but tons of stuff still here. In spring and summer, we'll start seeing more of those colorful birds. So we'll see red-winged blackbirds kind of get here first. Um, they take over the meadows with their amazing... Uh, call that I just love. Uh, we have black-headed grosbeaks in huge numbers, western tanagers, these beautiful red and or or um, yellow and red uh, orangish birds, uh, bullocks orioles, orange gorgeous American robins, yellow-rumped warblers, red-breasted sapsuckers, all kinds of sparrows and flycatchers, um, and you'll see more aquatic birds like mergansers and buffleheads, those are ducks, and of course sandpipers, and so 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 very much more. <laughs> This is definitely not an exhaustive list. Uh, but Yosemite Valley isn't the only place you should look for birds. Um, Hetch Hetchy is at a lower elevation than the valley. Great place for birding in late winter and early spring, also for wildflowers. Um, the foothills to the west of Yosemite Valley are also a great spot, and this includes the Briceburg and El Portel areas. And at the height of summer, when Yosemite Valley is too hot for just about anything enjoyable other than being in the river, the Yosemite high country will thrill you with sooty grouse, Clark's nutcrackers, and mountain bluebirds, which are the bluest bluebird you will ever see. It's almost like seeing this brilliant sapphire hopping 
hanging around in the trees. And if you really want to know more about birds and just learn your heart out, uh, you should turn to the experts. There are lots of them here. Yosemite Conservancy offers a lot of um, birding walks and activities from spring to fall. Um, they actually did offer that bird banding clinic that I joined if you're interested in something like that. You can find more information and sign up for their programs on their website, and that's at yosemite.org. Those are kind of the bird people here. Uh, they have the most robust um, birding program. So as you can see, birding is a great year-round activity and will always keep you on your toes and show you something exciting if you have the desire and patience for it. Birds, again, are also great indicators of what is going on in the greater world around us, and they have so much to teach us about patience, passion, and the importance of protection, the three Ps. <laughs> they are my favorite teachers of the natural world, and I hope you can find something special in them too. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod. If you want to know more about birds in Yosemite, you should check out the Yosemite National Park website where you can search for the topic of birds and get a plethora of information on species and projects past and present happening in Yosemite. Also, as I mentioned earlier, um, join the Yosemite Naturalist for a bird walk through the Yosemite Conservancy or check out other programs. Uh, offered throughout the year by Yosemite's National Park Service and Yosemite Hospitality's Naturalist Department. Current offerings can be found in the Yosemite Guide or by visiting um, travelyosemite.com, nps.gov, and yosemite.org, of course. If you need a list of those resources, I will include those in today's show notes. You can also contact me with any questions or comments. I am at littleyopod at gmail.com, and I promise I will start checking the email again and trying to get back to you guys. I'm sorry, I don't have time to respond to everyone, but I do love hearing from you, and I would also like to know your Yosemite bird tips, if you have any, and anything fun and unusual you may have seen while visiting Yosemite. All right, everybody, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Laura Jackson, and I I will see you in Yosemite.